Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. I'm Louis Hernandez, and I'm here with my friend and partner, Adam Lacey, and today we're going to introduce you to Andrew Bradley. Andrew is a seasoned professional with over 15 years of experience in the construction industry. He has a diverse background in pre-construction, financial management, operational leadership, uh, where he's also managed complex scopes of work up to 200 million in teams of over 800 people. Andrew is also a short-term rental owner and operator, as well as a private money lender. He is an avid reader and traveler, constantly seeking new experiences and perspectives. He's currently working as a consultant, helping a fast-growing multifamily real estate company become a vertically integrated business. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited yeah. to uh, be, be one of your first. Yeah, man. I'm glad to have you. Yeah, thank you. We'll try to go easy on you. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from. Yeah, background is uh, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, spent about 20-something-ish years there uh, between Omaha and Lincoln. Uh, went to college in Lincoln for construction management. After that, you know, went on to, uh, like you said, a, a career with uh, one of the largest uh, contractors in the country. And um, spent about 14 years there, you know, traveling around quite a bit. Saw a lot of different states. Spent some time overseas them and yeah uh finally decided to get off the road and and call denver home now so you're in denver now grew up in in omaha what was life like growing up in omaha yeah i mean omaha is a great place to raise a family i'd recommend it to anybody you know it's it's safe it's uh good cost of living um good wages and uh you know we grew up pretty middle class maybe upper middle class dad had a good job. He was a computer programmer. Um, mom didn't have, you know, a formal education of any kind. She had the education of life. Um, and she worked nights, mostly bartending in comedy clubs. And, you know, she was really in the entertainment uh, space. She's got some great stories and met some awesome people. Um, but, you know, as, as good as things were, you know, sometimes there's challenges in life and, you know, we all have them and, um, my dad, my dad had a drink problem and, you know, mom work at night. So allowed for that to, uh, poke its head out, uh, regularly. So, um, you know, the great thing was, is he was high functioning. He was always a great guy. He was a great dad, but, you know, had his own demons he had to deal with. So, uh, there was a bit of a struggle there at times and probably more so now as an adult than as a kid. <laughs> So when you were a kid, would you say you, you didn't really, I don't know, it, it didn't really negatively affect you looking back on it right now? Uh, no, not directly. You know, sometimes it was like, uh, he, was, he was always a fun, fun dad, you know? So we always played and had a good time and things like that. And, you know, as you get older, you start seeing some of the negative things and, uh, you know, we all have our different struggles in life and, and that's one that, you know, uh, I've had to learn to grow with uh, over time. 
Can you go a little deeper into that? Like what, what, what are the struggles that you have in, as an adult now uh, because of your dad yeah, I mean, as a child? I, I honestly, like I, I, I kind of struggle with, with saying that it, it was all bad for me because I took a lot of positives from it. I, I learned from not doing, um, you know, I told myself I wouldn't be that person. Um, you know, there were struggles between my mom and dad uh, in their relationship, obviously with the drinking that can cause a lot of fighting, you know, there's a lot of, uh, verbal fighting, um, just mostly on them disagreeing with whether he was drunk or not, or, uh, if that was okay or not. Um, you know, my dad was the earner. So his, his, one of his common sayings, you know, was, uh, I earn, so I can do what I want. Um, he was definitely the breadwinner. Um, so, I mean, for me, I really started taking away, you know, early in my teenage years, like, I don't like this. I don't like this environment. I don't like uh, the way, you know, they treat each other. And I just kind of promised myself to be a better person when my time came to have a relationship and uh, be an adult. And, you know, one thing is I never drank before. I was basically 22 I took a shot on my 21st birthday had another drink again on my 22nd birthday and then really didn't start drinking until I was like 23 um really kind of disciplined myself against the disease more than anything uh because it does it's not just my dad it runs throughout my uh, dad's side of the family pretty heavily um you know mental illness and, and suicide on my mom's side so those things combined kind of really guided me toward really protecting myself and, and being a better version of what I was seeing. Yeah, that's great, man. I mean, it sounds like, you, you know, you, you saw the issue and you made an intentional decision to make sure that, that you didn't follow down that same path. And that's, I mean, a lot of people go the exact opposite way and follow right in, right in those footsteps, you know, as I'm sure you've seen and know people that have done that. So I think that's great. So it, it sounds like, you know, moving forward, you, you know, you didn't drink, you decided you were going to get a degree, you said construction management, correct? Yeah, I, I you know, graduated in 2001 uh, by high school, went to uh, University of Nebraska right away for architecture. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I love drafting. Um, I did five years of drafting classes uh, in four years of high school. Um, it was something I just loved. But Nice. Uh, like with most, most things I found through my life, I'm not, uh, I'm not super efficient at it often. Uh, it took me a long time to do the projects. Um, I would spend hours and hours and hours in our call in college and ultimately, uh, decided I, I can't keep up this lifestyle. It's not something I'm passionate enough about to make the sacrifice for and, uh, ended up leaving school for about a year told myself I'd go back get a degree at some point. Um, in that year, I took some community college classes, just, you know, basics and trying to figure out what the heck it is I wanted to do in life. Ultimately, uh, met a girl who's now my wife. Uh, she was in Lincoln. That was really easy for me to find my way back there for her. Um, and in the meantime, I found the thing that most of my credits transferred to, which was construction management. Thought about doing some engineering, but was pretty lazy at that point in my life and didn't want to do the math. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got the same job as all the civil engineers that I knew. So it kind of worked out in, in that regard. 
So you moved back to Lincoln to be with your, you know, then girlfriend, where, where were you living at that time? Or you were back in Omaha? I was back in Omaha. I I, I bit the bullet and my dad had a rule. He said, once you're 18, you can either work full time and live under my roof and I'll charge you rent or you can go to school and things will be, you know, mostly taken care of for you. And if you go to school, you got one chance to move back in and figure things out. And his rule was a year. And I was there as little as possible as for, as I could be for that year um, before I got it figured out. And, you know, the rule got a little looser with my other siblings, but we all, we all took advantage of it. That's for sure. I'm just curious. So you, you have a few siblings. Yeah. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. My brother's six years younger than me. My, my sister's uh, two years younger. So you broke them down a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I was actually going to go backwards. My sister did the most damage. I, I I actually wanted to go backwards a little bit, if if you don't mind. Yeah, go for <clears> it. I'm still curious about the the drinking. <clears throat> uh, so so you got I, I and I wonder this sometimes maybe if it was the being an older the older sibling trying to set the example all that like because you describe the alcoholism in in your household not being terribly bad you know your father was middle class household it wasn't very abusive maybe some verbal but a lot of people in that circumstance could definitely you know uh will have seen a a, a lot more uh, uh violent abuse and for sure things like that and you didn't even touch her. you you actually said it was pretty positive growing up as a child right i and and i'm curious as to why it was that you you still thought it was a problem you like what what helped you recognize that um, yeah Overall, like I'm, I'm a person, you know, a lot of a lot of people uh, say like love is the answer. Um, love, I think, is a byproduct of respect. And although my parents loved each other, I never saw them respect each other uh, through a lot of their relationship. They're still married to this day. They still love each other a lot. Um, they still have a ton of issues within their relationship. And I have a ton of issues surrounding uh, their relationship. Uh, you know, that's what therapists are for. So, um, you know, I, I think really, ultimately, it came down to like, I, I just never saw them really respect each other. Um, they were on very different pages. A lot of times getting out of the house was, you know, it, it was, it wasn't a hesitation. As soon as I could move out, I was out. Um, it wasn't that they were bad parents. They were both great parents. They just both suffered from their own issues. And those manifest themselves uh, within how they treated each other within the relationship and to this day still do. And so how has that translated now to your relationship with your wife? Basically the opposite of everything I saw. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, like I said, I promised myself that I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be somebody that was sober. Uh, there was a moment in time where um you know, me and my wife were dating at the time and I was maybe uh, having a little too much fun in college with the boys. And she basically looked at me and picked me up one night from a, from a party, a night out and said, if this is going to be what this is, we might as well end it now. And that was, uh, you know, about the last time I really went that direction and it started helping me realize, you know, what, what's really important to me? What are my values? Who do I want to be? And, um, 
So, I mean, we have a very, me and my wife have been together now 20 years. We've been married for 10. We've had our ups and downs, and, but it's never been the same thing my parents struggled with. Um, you know, she came from a family with a pretty healthy parent uh, relationship. And so, you know, I've learned a lot from them. I've learned a lot from her. And just knowing that that's not who I wanted to be, that that was a core value of mine, really just kind of kept me on that track of, of staying away from being disrespectful and not um, not having that equal footing in our relationship. We've only known each other for a little bit of time, but you you go into talking about your relationship with your wife right away most of the time. It seems like that's very, very important, right? Uh, and just maintaining a good relationship and Absolutely. you don't I, I you're you're a very successful guy Andrew and I and and you got all these dreams and aspirations which we're going to talk about but you 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 seem to start with your wife it seems like uh in our in the conversations which is fascinating right yeah she she's 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 the center of everything uh for me I mean she's the thing that she she's been there to support me in my hard time she supported me when I decided to leave a very successful career um, and company um, and and take a couple leaps of faith you know on the flip side you know I helped support her um, you know when I first started working in my career she was still in law school um, she is an attorney and you know we were apart for better part of three years while she was going to school and figuring that out and so it's been a very give and take relationship um, we've been on very even footing throughout. We both have a ton of respect for each other's dreams and wishes. And through those 20 years, you know, we've really aligned on the things we want to do and how we want to experience the world together and what the things that are important to us are and, and that we're going to live our life that way. So you mentioned you, you left a, a pretty lucrative career. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what, what led you to there and, and why'd you make the change? Yeah, I mean, I went to work for a hometown contractor in Omaha. Um, one of the biggest construction companies in the country is based out of Omaha, uh, Kiewit Corporation. And, you know, I just grew up seeing the black and yellow trucks and had a degree. And, you know, they, uh, it was at the time, you know, going to career fairs in college for internships, um, it was like, do you have a pulse? Yep. All right. You got a job. <laughs> and so the bar was pretty low to get in uh, initially. Um, but they weed, it, weed out very quickly. And, um, you know, over the next, you know, four to five years, I really kind of went where they needed me to prove myself. I was a pretty fast riser in the company, I would say, for a while. Um, you know, I was trusted to train and work with uh, the CEO's youngest son. Uh, he was my intern and spent a lot of time mentoring him. So I was given some good opportunities, but uh, somewhere along the way, either I lost my passion for what I was doing and stopped pushing um, or opportunities stopped coming my way. And I think it's a combination of both. So but, let me, so do yeah. you think you, you actually lost your passion or did you ever really have it? Were you just kind of on the, on the, on the train that most of us jump on in corporate America and you're just kind of thinking this is the only way or, or did you actually have passion for the construction you know, management? I, I think, I think for a while I definitely did, but it was always trade-offs, major trade-offs. Like I was, when I had the opportunity, um, you know, I moved to Denver for, uh, for the company 
to do to work on the rehabilitation of Denver Union Station. Um, there, I went from a four-year, barely know anything about building anything meaningful um, guy to, you know, four years later while I was there, um, you know, I was next in line to become the construction manager for a nearly $500 million project. You know, through through that, you know, my name was really being tossed around for some other leadership roles on other projects. Um, there was another job in, in Denver here that was going underwater quickly. I got sent over there to clean it up. There were some personality conflicts with some upper management at one point. Uh, and as a punishment, I got sent to Canada, which was the best thing that ever happened to me, actually, uh, because it was an oil rig job up in middle of nowhere, Canada. Uh, if you know the easternmost point in the United States, or in, in North America is St. John's, Newfoundland. We were about two and a half hours north of that, which is really, really cold. Uh, <laughs> put on night shift in the winter uh, as punishment, but the pay was so good that we paid off all our student loans uh, in a year. I was supposed to be up there for 28 days. I ended up staying for 16 months. Wow. Was your wife so, with you during that time? Yeah. Or was she back in, the, she was back in Nebraska? Yeah, she was always in Denver, actually. Uh, as soon as she graduated law school, she moved out to Denver with me, and she's never left since. Um, all my travels have been solo, and, you know, I was on rotations, you know, two weeks on, one week off type stuff, or home for the weekends. And so the company always treated me good, and I had, I had a good passion for what I was doing. But at some point, you know, you realize the, the cliche of trading, trading hours for dollars, and you know, when it was in Canada, it was fine because it was 14 hours on. You, you're on a camp job. You go to bed. You're there for 14 days, 14 hours a day. All you do is work, and then you have a week off. It was great. I'd, I'd take that life, no problem. It was when I came back to the States, and it was 14-hour days, five days a week, travel on my time both ways, which I was traveling from Denver out to the D.C. area. So four hour flight each way, you're exhausted all the time, unhappy. I was managing a bunch of vendors across the country as well. So that year I actually saw 108 domestic flights and that is a terrible way to live a life. And that's where it started turning for me. I felt like I was really stuck, although I was dealing with some pretty heavy responsibilities. Um, I felt like my upward trajectory was starting to slow down. That's where I first started thinking about making a change. After that, you know, I got to another place where on another project where there seemed to be a lot of upward mobility and a bunch of corporate politics got in the way. I was already kind of half in, half out at that point. Said, hey, if we can make this work, great. If not, I want to be back in Denver and I'm done. Uh, done traveling. It didn't come to fruition. They parked me on a job that I was just miserable on. And I had been communicating with my top managers in my district um, very openly at this point of like, listen, guys, things need to change or I need to find a change. And we put a timeline on it. Things didn't change. And so I started looking for something else and eventually found something, went and worked for a small uh, developer outside of Denver, focused on... Um, airports, developing hangars and things like that. Unfortunately, uh, 
that only lasts about four or five months because they didn't know they were bankrupt until I showed them their financials and uh, how bankrupt they were. Then COVID hit, and then it's just been kind of a bounce around adventure since then. I've done some consulting. I've worked for an energy efficiency company, um, but right now I'm just really focusing on my consulting. Yeah. So I'd like to go back to your exit from Kiwi for a second. I think, I think there's a lot the listener can pull from that because, you know, you were intentional about setting a timeline and then you stuck to it. It would have been really easy for you to stick in, in your career because I'm sure you made pretty good money. I know Kiwit. I know they pay well. Tons of upside too if you stay long enough. The golden handcuffs. Exactly. And and you decided to say skip it. That this is this is my end date and you actually stuck to it. So I think I think you probably are very proud of yourself and you should be for that because most people don't do that. Yeah, I mean it was terrifying if I'm honest. Um, you know, I I see myself as a very loyal person almost to a fault. Um, you know, I uh I gave a lot to grow in that company and stepping away and knowing the sacrifices I made early in my career. You know, I was on the road for six years away from my wife. Like I started traveling nine months after we got married. You know, I was on the road for the better part of six years, knowing all the sacrifice that went into that, why I was doing it at the time um, was really hard to reconcile, especially emotionally. Um, You know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I cried. You know, uh, it was hard. I put a lot of time and effort into it, but I very quickly realized, you know, it's four years later nearly here. And uh, there's about one person I keep in touch with. The machine didn't stop. And, you know, it just, it, it, it ultimately, it didn't matter if I was there or not. You know, it, a company that large, it just keeps going. And, yep. you know, that's not a good or bad thing. It's a very well-oiled machine and they train their people to be able to jump in. And so um, I don't think it's a reflection, good or bad on me or the company. It's just the way it works. And there's a lot of fear around leaving jobs, I think. And, and it really set in stone for me of like, this is my life. Like, I got to do the thing that makes me fulfilled and this mm-hmm. ain't it. I'm still trying to find exactly what that is, but, uh, you know, I feel a lot closer than I was. Yeah. It's a, it's a constant search, man. But, right. but going back to leaving Kiwis, right. So you knew you didn't want to spend nine months out of the year in DC. You know, you didn't want to travel. You didn't want to be away from your life. Who you love very much. What did that inward looking process look like when you were trying to figure out like, okay, well, what is my next step or what do I want to do? Or, you know, were you digging in, long-term or are you just thinking I just need a job where I don't travel or was there there if you could talk a little bit about what that process looked like towards what your next steps were going to be yeah like you know a lot of people strive for more responsibility more they want to take on more and they want to be the leader at the company and all that and you know I definitely had that drive at one point um however I got to a point where when I was looking I had an offer to go be one of two project managers on a you know, what turned out to be a billion dollar job, um, north of Denver, um, another highway job. And the company offered me a package that was like almost three times what I had at Kiwit. And when I was like, I, I don't want to do this for that kind of money. Cause I know the sacrifice that goes into it. That was like a light bulb moment for me. And so 
kind of to answer your question, like I knew I needed something different. I knew that managing day-to-day -day construction projects wasn't necessarily the thing that drove me anymore. Money wasn't the driver anymore. I was looking for something else. And at the time I had started learning more and more about real estate and wanted to start moving my career forward, um, how I could help real estate investors or get into investing um, full time. And that's where I went to go run the construction operations for a developer. And so slowly but surely I've been, you know, trying to move more into the real estate side of the business rather than the, just being the guy building the stuff. Um, and it's, it's hard to make that transition without, without contacts in that world and without experience in building construction. I've built everything besides the building, uh, you know, and so, uh, yeah, that, I, that, that was really the introspection is just like, I, I don't want to do the thing I'm doing anymore. It doesn't feel good. And so it's really kind of like test out other things and see what feels good. Yeah. I love it. And that makes perfect sense. Right. I mean, you, you had a feeling you wanted to be a real estate investor, but you didn't really know how to do that. But coincidentally, you have this background in construction management that ties very much into real estate investing yeah. and development. Yeah. So instead of just jumping off a cliff and saying, well, I'm just going to figure out how to be a real estate investor and, and, and you know, pulling the plug on your income, you decided that, Hey, I'm going to use my skill set, and I'm going to find a, a job where I can get basically paid to learn at least some right. aspect of being a real estate investor, which you wanted to be someday, which I, I think is cool. I mean, there's a lot of ways to approach it, but that's a, that's definitely a good one. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, I've kind of always, since I left you, been thinking about is like, let me peek behind the curtain and find where the problems are. I might not be able to necessarily solve them all right now, but as I've worked with, you know, now three or four other companies um, since I left, being able to look at the problems that they have, you know, there's a, especially in these small companies, you know, these are all like startup to three to five year companies. And there's a lot of growing pains in those stages and they don't know what they don't know. And that's where I feel like I can bring value of, Hey, I've seen it done at the largest scale. I might not know the right tool, but I know the right process. And, and so um, I try to bring that uh, value to them. And then I try to find out how to build the right tool that brings the right process into their business so that they can become more efficient and more cost-effective and train their people and, um, you know, overall be a better company. So how long ago did you leave the company that went bankrupt to go into consulting full-time? Yeah, that was, um, that was right before the pandemic, actually. That was January of, uh, night, uh, when, when did the pandemic start? 2020, January of 2020. Um, okay. after that, you know, it was nine months of crickets because, you know, the world came to a grinding halt, which was okay. Uh, you know, got to do a little more experimenting, uh, self-education, stuff like that, uh, sitting at home. Had a great summer with some friends. <laughs> um, I actually went and worked uh, at the end of that year, uh, 2020, I think it was like August, September, October, somewhere in there uh, for an energy efficiency startup. Um, I was actually their first employee uh, that went around uh, doing energy efficiency upgrades to multifamily um, facilities across the United States. Um, 
good business model. Ended up leaving there after about a year, uh, just because we had some overlapping skill with another. I had an overlapping skill with uh, another person there that they had a five-year relationship with before. Um, ironically, he left about four months later. But uh, you know, I, I've seen it on both ends. I've worked for a hundred and thirty-something-year-old company, and I worked for a day-one startup. So um, yeah. And then I plus you learned this learned this cool skill set on a on a very niche practice in the multifamily, uh, which obviously in the real estate world. So uh, you know, and it drives a ton of value. I mean, massive value. Um, so it's it's a valuable peek behind the curtain there. Right. And so when you you are a real estate investor and you're working with partners and you're looking for partners and and deciding how you can provide value, well, you know, there's a piece of it that most people are going to know nothing about, but let alone as much as you know about it after working in that world for a year. So that's great. Are you enjoying that? Do you see yourself doing more of that and maybe even taking, uh, rather than even a consultant role or taking an ownership role, you know, GP or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I I enjoy investing. Um, You know, I, I don't know where my investing journey is going to take me right now. We have one short-term rental. Uh, we just fell through contract on a second one, um, but we do like the short-term space. I've found that I actually enjoy um, hosting people, which is definitely a departure from my attitude sometimes. Uh, that's been surprising. As a matter of fact, we got another booking yesterday and my wife looked at me and she's like, you're really good at this. So I think it's just about experimenting and, and trying different things. You know, I'm an LP uh, in in a deal, a self storage deal. I'm, uh, I've done a handful of private lending deals. Um, so, like I said, I like to just experiment and see what feels right, and uh, at some point dive dive further into the one that feels the most aligned for us. So, you plan to buy more short term rentals? Yeah, we're we're kind of reevaluating right now just because of the market. But um, you know, if if we find another right deal, we would likely buy another property for ourselves. So I believe so. Your short term rental is in Sioux Falls, is that right? Yeah, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So how did you come across that one? Um, my wife is from near the area. Her parents retired there, and when we started talking about you know what our buy box looks like and where we want to buy. Um, we kind of find, found this hole in the market in Sioux Falls. Um, it felt a lot more comfortable for her as well, having boots on the ground that we knew uh, and could trust um, without, you know, going and building that network. You know, who else can you trust uh, more than your family, uh, typically? Uh, so, you know, her dad was, her dad's retired and he was bored sitting around at home. So he, you know, he's been super active in helping us with the property and maintaining it and helping us furnish and all that stuff. And yeah, we just started looking in that area. We actually had a fourplex under contract at one point and there's a story with that one. We ended up uh, bailing on the contract uh, after uh, some crimes were committed in it while we were under contract. Um, But yeah, we'd been looking at the market for a while. The short-term space really hadn't kicked off there yet. Um, unfortunately, everybody found the same hole we did, and it became very competitive very quickly. Uh, I think we've the market in a year has added over a hundred uh, short-term rentals, and there's only five hundred in the market, so it got really competitive really quickly. Got it. 
All right. So you're looking into short-term rentals. You know, you have this skill set in development and construction. You're living in Denver with your wife. What's what's next? What's what's the target here? Get the hell out of those states for a while. Uh, oh yeah. One one thing for us is uh, we love traveling before COVID. Um, you know, we took our honeymoon to France. That was really my first exposure to international travel. Um, didn't know what the hell we were doing, but and we had some great stories from that trip of getting lost and you know, not speaking the language and we made it, you know, it was, it was kind of eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, from there we, you know, celebrated our debt-free, uh, journey, um, by going to Greece for two weeks. And then that was a whole nother eye-opener. And then, you know, with all my travel, uh, for work, I had all kinds of perks and upgrades and stuff like that. So, you know, we started exploring Southeast Asia and we've done Philippines and Thailand um, I had the opportunity to work in Japan for a while as well when I was with Kiwit. So uh, travel's become a big piece of our life. We traveled both domestically and internationally, and it's just something that for years and years and years we've always talked about. Maybe someday we'll go do a year abroad. Maybe someday we'll go move somewhere else and live in a, among a different culture for a while. And finally, you know, we started kind of aiming our gun that direction um, pre-pandemic and the pandemic really made us really think about what we wanted to do more. And in the last six months or so, we've really mapped out how we can make this work. Um, you know, what do we need to have in the bank? How much risk are we willing to take on with these properties? Um, can we manage that remotely? because uh, we do self-manage our property. Um, and really, we just kind of looked at everything and we've got aging parents and, you know, her, her parents are a bit older than mine and starting to have some health problems. Um, you know, our oldest niece and nephew, they're in high school and college, so they're kind of figuring out their own life. Um, my youngest niece and nephew, you know, they're two and one. So, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time with them, but like, it just feels like there's this hole right now, this gap in, in our life that it's like everything's lining up just to say, now's the time, you know, um, before people start getting too sick or you want to start doing more with uh, these older kids. And, um, you know, my wife also has some uh, physical ailments with her back and neck that very well could become more debilitating over time. And so it's like now while we're still functional like let's go do the dream if it's only a year then at least we've done it if we can figure out a way to do it 50 50 going forward great if it's something we just say screw everything we know and we're we're taking off and we're gonna go live overseas or we find a new place in the states even like we, we like adventure we like seeing new things meeting new people trying new foods um living ultimately it's about living a healthier lifestyle that's more fulfilling for us do you have a deadline? Yeah, I mean, uh, our goal right now is to, we were actually talking about this again last night because it is a little bit of a moving target, but our, our goal is by the end of this year, by the end of 2023. And where, where are you thinking? You, you gave something pretty broad. Yeah, we've, uh, we've been looking at different areas and, and 
Adam, that Matt behind you had a hard time not staring at it <laughs> while we're talking here, yeah. picking, picking more spots. Right. But yes, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, yeah, we love Southeast Asia. Um, and I think Southeast Asia just has a lot going for it in terms of cost of living, um, the quality of living you can have, um, for the cost. Um, you know, my sister-in-law is from Brazil. So we've recently started looking at uh, Brazil, possibly, you know, especially if we're going to try to still work somewhat remotely somehow, uh, being closer to U.S. time zones is helpful uh, rather than doing calls in the middle of the night. Um, sure. And, you know, ultimately, we will absolutely go live in Italy uh, for for some period of time, sometime in the future, whether it's this trip or another one. Um, Italy's always just been a place that we we want to go explore deeper um but yeah right now we don't have any anything uh specifically targeted we're still doing a lot of research there got Could it you just make an exploratory trip for a year yeah go month in each one of your top 12 or something yeah it'll 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 probably be something like that we know we'll do at least three places and then wow. if something doesn't feel right we'll just move on pick another one yeah. yeah, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. great. So, will your wife be able to work remotely? No, no. no. Okay, <laughs> she, she works for the state. Uh, they don't. They don't look too kindly on not being in the state when you're working. <laughs> sure. But okay. I mean, we both we both have some business ideas we want to pursue. Um, you know, whether it's just we just educate on it and test some things. Um, you know, throw a couple thousand dollars in an idea and see if it's got any legs. Um, or we just say, screw it, this is just a physical and mental health break and, and we'll figure it out when we get back. Um, absolutely. I bet all your issues will be right here when you get back. So. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> no point 100%. in putting your life and your passions on pause just because you don't have every little detail figured out. I, I agree with you. Yeah. If you can swing it. Yeah. Awesome. We're, we're, we're definitely hard charging at this point. Love ready for a break so love it so now let's dive into some rapid fire questions Elise. you wanted to get us started with that yeah andrew first of all thanks for uh for for sharing all of that and uh, about yourself and it's really exciting the journey you're about to go on We're, we like to end the show by asking a, a few rapid fire questions as adam said um and so we got four of them and we're just gonna throw them at you um First one is just uh, what's what's a great hack you got out there? Like uh, could be an app, productivity tool, uh, you know, just something you do to, you know, really just cheat life. Yeah, I mean, I'm always uh, I'm I'm almost ADD with this stuff. Like I I love hacks, I love things like that. So I'm always yeah. jumping around from one thing to the other. But I'm I'm actually going to give a couple, and they're both. One is probably a little obvious. The other is something that I actually just started playing with here in the last couple of days. The first one's YouTube. Uh, I think YouTube is the biggest hack we have on the planet. Maybe next to GPT, uh, AI. Uh, I'm getting really deep into some AI stuff right now. I, I'm yeah. really enjoying it. But YouTube for broad audience, I, I'm not a big fan of the traditional education system. I think most people, unless you're going to be a professional, it doesn't make sense to go to college, go to the school of YouTube. I wish it was there and more developed when I was uh, of that age because I go to YouTube for everything at this point. Totally. 
Um, the second tool uh, is Notion. Um, it's kind of like a Trello or, you know, all these. Say it again. What is it called? Notion. Notion. N-O-T-I-O-N. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Um, it's, I, I just started playing with it to kind of put together our travel research. And uh, so far, I'm pretty, I don't know how to use it very well, but I'm pretty impressed with what it can do. Because you can build multiple data, different databases and like pull it all into one sheet and huh. um, yeah, I, I look forward to playing with that some more. I think it could be really powerful. Love it. So now, name a a favorite. Could be a podcast, a movie, a book, a song, a band. Man, you're 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 like right up my alley here with all of the above. <laughs> um, name a couple. I, yeah. I, I, so my my absolute favorite podcast right now in this moment is one called My First Million. Um, oh yeah, it yeah. I I found it over COVID while I was building the desks uh, in our in our uh, in our condo here that we could work at, and I think I binged something like 180 episodes in a row. Are those um, the guys that created the hustle? Yeah. 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 Uh, Sam, yeah. Sam Parr and Parr Don, and, uh, Don Purry. I love those guys. Like, yeah. 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 If, They're good. If, if you told me you could have a beer with anybody on the planet right now, it would be those two guys. Yeah. Nice. They got a quality show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What about, um, you know, you're, you're at least a little bit over 25 now, so we can ask you that, you know, what, what is some advice you would give to your 25 year old self now? Um, Danger. Man, don't don't feel like you have to do what's expected. Um, you know, I I did the expected path. I, I I would I called it Omahaitis, right? Omaha, there's a very structured way to live. It's uh, you graduate high school, you meet a girl, you go to college, you get married a few years later, you have two and a half kids, mm-hmm. you buy a house, uh, you go work for the corporate job for the company in Omaha. We did most of those. We didn't get married right away. We didn't have kids. Um, but I felt like that just felt trapped to me. So I would say like, go play, go experiment, go try things that maybe don't line up with your education. Maybe don't go to college. Um, take, take some big swings then and really find a thing that did drive you. Um, Cause when you're 40, it's a lot harder to take some of those big swings. I love that. But I'm trying. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. It can still be done. But yeah, it's definitely a little easier in your in your mid twenties, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so what do you think holds people back from being happy? Expectations of others. I think that's the biggest thing. I think we're so many of us are trained, you know, and I get it. Like our parents always want a better life for the next generation, right? Um but you got to realize the expectations that are being placed on your with data knowledge. Um, you know, it's about their experiences. And, you know, my, my parents grew up in, you know, my mom grew up fairly poor, you know, and so her idea of success was having a stable job and a good income. You know, my dad's definition of, ex- of success was basically what his roadmap was. Like, I have an associate's degree and I make well into the six figures. Uh, and, you know, he worked for a, um, 
whatever it's called, a, a, a Fortune a Fortune 100 company um, for half his career. And so it's figure out what your definition of happiness and success is and live that, not somebody else's. Amen. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. As Luis said, we really appreciate you jumping on here, man. It's it's it was it's been good to get to know you over the last few weeks, and and even better to dive deep into it today. Um, you know, hoping we can have more of these conversations going forward. Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate you guys asking, and and you know, this is this is my first one too, so uh, I'm yeah. happy. I'm happy. Uh, happy to participate, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thank you. We look forward to hearing about your adventures overseas. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Take care, man. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.